0: Hey everyone, it's Sean from Between Two Ravens, a Norse Mythology podcast with Sean and David. So this week we recorded our second and final episode on the poem Grimnismal in the hopes that we were able to publish it Friday morning. It's Saturday, so we obviously didn't do that. So we attempted to use a different software for the episode and the recording contains what I would say is considerable audio issues. So we attempted to edit it in the hopes that um, we'd be able to publish it and just like minimize any of the, uh, the fuzziness of the recording. However, after working with it for a bit, we felt that the next best step would be to re-record the episode to publish for next Friday. So just to give the listeners an idea of what to expect moving forward, we do plan to wrap up season one within the next few weeks, to which season two is going to start sometime in early to mid-July. Season two is most likely going to contain a series of episodes featuring Loki, a series on the god Boulder. and we also might get into a series on Ragnarok, but that might have to be delayed um, you know, beyond season two. So hopefully we will also start recording episodes with guest hosts as well, um, which I think will be an inevitable step at some point because, you know, at some point we are going to run out of stories to talk about. So obviously this may change, but for season three, which would be in early 2023, we might shift to some of the sagas featuring humans as opposed to the gods. Um, So we might do a series on the saga of the Volsungs. Um, We might get into the Icelandic sagas as well. So, what this means is every six months or so, we're going to be starting a new series, a new season, excuse me. So, right now, as we are in mid May, with season two starting in July, we are going to have six or so weeks in between season one and two. So, what we had planned on doing was to every now and then, without a set schedule, if that makes sense, publish shorter episodes that would feature David and or myself informally discussing things we find interesting about the subject matter. So David might talk a little bit about the philosophy. I might go into some of the history, etc. So since we fucked up our recording of Grim and Small Part 2, delaying the episode, I decided that I would use this opportunity to ad hoc record one of these episodes as a sort of practice. So I apologize in advance if this episode is stupid. So one of the things that I find absolutely fascinating with the Norse stories, and something I find fascinating about Dark Age England, where we don't have records that we would probably want to understand that time period, is that you kind of have to put the pieces together of the different sources to form a story over, of what actually happened. One of the things I'd like to look at when reviewing these Norse stories or like old historical sources like the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle is think about the question of when does myth become legend and when does legend become reality? So if you look at a book like the Bible, you know, God apparently created Adam and Eve, who probably didn't actually exist historically, or at least we don't have the sources to claim they did. But the Bible charts their family line all the way down to a King David, who we do believe actually existed. We're able to look at archaeological evidence, look at other written sources to say a King David existed. However, did King David <laughs> Did King David kill a giant by throwing a sling at it or like with a sling? So the legend of David uh, David and Goliath or David versus Goliath would be looked at as legend. However, David might actually have been a historical figure. So you might be able to look at Adam and Eve as myth. You might be able to look at King David as legend, a legendary person who may have existed in some capacity and then... If you are able to chart King David down to a character like Jesus or something like that, that's when you're getting to actual like history with written records. So they might be able to look at a Roman document that says, oh, well, Jesus existed. But then there's still going to be a lot of these mythological stories. Like, did he rise from the dead after three days? Probably not. But I, again, find this stuff very fascinating. In relation to Norse mythology, if you look at a story like the Saga of the Volsungs, you have this family that was started by a man named Siggy, whose father was the god Odin. You're able to put the pieces together and trace their family line to the point where you actually end up with actual historical figures. So with the Saga of the Volsungs, you start with Odin at the top of the family tree. His son was Siggy. His son was Rerir. His son was Volsung, whose son was Sigmund. Sigmund had two sons. One was S- Sinfieldsley, but he died. But Sigmund also had a son named Sigurd, who is, who is probably the main character in the Saga of the Volsungs. Sigurd had a daughter with a woman named Brynhild. That daughter's name was Aslog. Then we get into another story that features a character named Ragnar Lothbrok, or Lothbrok, who is the main character in the show Vikings. In the show Ragnar marries Aslog. Aslog is one of his wives. In the, in the actual story, Ragnar has three, three wives or two wives, depending on which source you're reading. But Ragnar and Aslog have many kids. You have Ragnvald, Bjorn Ironside, Fitzirk, Ivor the Boneless, and Sigurd Snake in the Eye, four, four of which featured on the show Vikings as well. Sigurd apparently had a daughter named Ragn- Ragnhilds, who was the mother of King Harald Fairhair of Norway. Harold Fairhair is widely considered as the first king of a unified Norway. He probably existed in some capacity. We don't know what areas of Norway he definitely had domain over, but it's interesting to think about because if Harold existed, at what point did the story did this family line get incorrect? Was his, did he have a mother named Ragnhild? Maybe. Was her father Sigurd Snake-in-the-Eye, who actually had a serpent in his eye? Probably not. But it's, it's really cool to think about. And this is what I mean when it comes to when does myth become legend and when does legend become reality. You can look at the character of Odin as a myth. Then you can trace his line down to somebody like Sigurd the Giant Slayer or Ragnar Lodbrok. Ragnar Lothbrok we also don't think existed, or we don't think a single person that did all these things existed. He might be looked at as legendary. And then if you get down to Harold Fairhair, you're like, oh, well, this guy may have existed. We're going to maybe touch on Harold Fairhair and his son in a little bit to move on to the next part of this episode. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Prosetta, which we discuss in most episodes. So the Prosetta, we primarily deal with stories from Gilfaginim or Skad Skoppermal. Those are the two sections of the Prosetta that contain most of the Norse myths. However, there is also a prologue. The prologue is pretty much Snorri Sturluson saying These stories that I'm about to tell you are what was worshiped at a time, or like these stories were thought of as being actual fact. However, I'm Christian, and this is a group of people, the Aesir, that were incorrectly worshiped as deities. So I think it's very interesting that Snorri felt the need to do that in general. So to start off the prologue, I'm actually going to quote this. In the beginning, Almighty God created heaven and earth. And all that pertains to them. Lastly, he created two people, Adam and Eve. And from them came clans whose descendants multiplied and spread across the whole world. So right there, uh, the characters Adam and Eve, you obviously know that they're from the Bible. So Snorri is saying that this is how the world actually started. So everything we know about Norse mythology, or most of it comes from the poetic edda or the Prosetta, edda, everything was written down by Christians. Um, some of the poems may have carried over from a time when the Norse religion was actually practiced, and the ones that we find in the Poetic Edda, but with the prosetta, Edda, we know for sure that Snorri was a Christian, and he wrote this in the 13th century. So the prologue kind of goes on to say that the Aesir were actually a group of people from Troy who eventually migrated to Scandinavia to where they were, again, worshipped incorrectly as deities because they were very powerful, they were a powerful clan, people started to look at them as leaders, and then eventually started worshiping them as gods. Speaking of Troy, this goes to the third part of the, pro- of the prologue. One of the kings was named Munin, or Menin. He was married to Trone, the daughter of Priam, the chief king. They had a son who was named Thor, the one we call Thor. He was brought up in Thracia by a duke named loricus So this is where Thor comes in as a potential historical figure. And by historical figure, I am going to put that in quotes, just like I am in the title of this episode, because keep in mind, Snorri is just putting this together to make his stories work. And he's using a his idea of a of a historical world to make it work. So we know that he's kind of just um, making it up as he goes, or we're pretty sure that he's making it up as he goes anyway. In the northern part of the world, he came across the prophet prophetess, excuse me, called Siebel, who we call Sif, and he married her. No one knows Sif's ancestors. She was the loveliest of women, with hair like gold. Their son, named Loridi, was much like his father. Loridi's son was Inradi, his son was Vingathor, his son Vingener. his son Moda, his son Magi, his son Seskef, his son Bedvig, his son Athra, who we call Einar, his son Iterman, his son Heramid. his son Skjeldung who we call Skjald, his son Bief, who we call Bjar, his son Yats, his son Gudolf, his son Finn, and his son Frelef, who we called Fridlef. He had a son named Vodin, the one we call Odin, an excellent man because of his wisdom and because he had every kind of accomplishment. His wife, named Frigida, was called Frigg. You'll see here that Thor apparently is an ancestor of Odin in this story, and not Odin's son. But Snorri mentions a character named Vodin, who we call Odin. Then he actually goes into the fourth part of the prologue where he describes the sons of Odin or the family tree of Odin. Odin had three of his sons guard the country. This is after they migrated to Scandinavia. One of them, Vegdeg, was a powerful king who ruled over East Saxland. His son was Fertzgils, whose son were Vita, the father of Hengist. So this is very interesting because Hengist and his brother Horsa, according to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, were the first kings of Kent in Anglo-Saxon England. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle is looked at as a historical book. It was sanctioned by King Alfred the Great of Wessex in the 9th century. It was probably written by his monks, but that book was written to chart the past of British history, but also just talk about like what was actually happening in that day. And it was it it was written over the course of a couple hundred years, Alfred the Great being the king of Wessex, and the king of, the kings of England, the kings and queens of England being at first from the House of Wessex. The book allows you to see the origins of the Kingdom of England, but also the the origins of the different petty kingdoms of England, one of which is Kent, um, another one is Wessex, Northumbria, Mercia, East Anglia, etc. Because the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, again, was written to kind of like talk about the history of Wessex. So it can be looked at as some type of propaganda. However, it is, you know, most of it is actually accurate history, but some of the stuff that they claim happened hundreds of years earlier, you then have to go into the question, when does myth become legend and when does legend become reality? In the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, the year AD 455 this year, Hengist and Horsa fought with Vertigern from Vortigern from King Arthur. the king on the spot that is called Aylesford, his brother Horsa being there slain. Hengist afterwards took the kingdom with his son Esk. So this little passage right here um, on the year 455 talks about the origins of the kingdom of Kent in post- post-Roman Englands. Going back to the Prosetta, with the sons of Odin. Odin's second son, named Beldeg, we call Baldr. He held the land that is now called Westphalia. His son was Brand, and his son was Frodegar, whom we call Frodi. His son was Freowyn. His son was Wig, whose son, Gevis we call Gever. And then this is where the Prosetta and the Saga of the Volsungs also connects. Odin's third son was named Sigi, whose son was Rayrir the men of this family ruled what is now called France. And from them came the family called the Volsungs. So according to the set of the Vols, the family of the Volsungs actually were the kings of France, which I find very interesting. But you notice that with Siggy being the son of Odin and then Siggy's son being Rairir, I actually just talked about the side of the Volsungs in the family tree that ultimately ended with Harold Fairhair. Again, when does myth become legend and when does legend become reality? So moving back to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which I love dark age English history, by the way, you see a clear picture of what's happening where these writers in the ninth century are talking about the, the country of England three to 400 years prior. And it talks about the petty kingdoms of which there was typically a like seven or eight of them, or like all of them were descendants. All the first kings were descendants from a man named Woden, who is the Anglo-Saxon version of Odin. So we can take a look. Um, I put together a family tree on instagram a few weeks ago that based on the anglo-saxon chronicle charts all of the families that came from woden or odin so as i mentioned in the anglo-saxon chronicle it mentions that hengist is the son of witgils the son of witta the son of wekta the son of woden this is a portion where the anglo-saxon chronicle which was supposed to be a historical document actually is consistent with what we see in the prosetta which is certainly historical fiction written by snorri starlson for the Kingdom of Wessex, again, the Anglo Saxon Chronicle talks primarily about the Kingdom of Wessex. You have Cherdic, first king, in 495. His father was Elisa. His father was Giwis. Whose father was Wai. Whose father was Freywen. Whose father was Frithgar. Whose father was Brand. Whose father was Balde. Whose father was Woden. If you look at the Northumbrians, whose first king was Ida, it goes Eopa, Essa, Ingvi. Engenwit, Alak, Benak, Brad, excuse me, Brands, Baldi, and Woden. Why I think this is so cool is because you can potentially try to put this together and say, well, if these first kingdoms came to be between the years like 450 and 550 AD, maybe they were descended from a common person named Woden, like maybe in the third century or something, the third or fourth century, there might have been a warlord named Woden who had. Very remarkable kids and very remarkable family lines that would all go and form their own kingdoms, of which the kingdom the, the kingdom of Wessex would eventually form the kings of England in the ninth, in the tenth uh, century. Again, that could be possible with Woden just being like a warlord or something like that. Maybe if he was a historical figure similar to Ragnar Lothbrok in the saga Ragnar Lothbrok and his sons, maybe he was a remarkable man. Maybe he had these amazing sons that would invade England in the, with a great he- heathen army, which actually did happen but we don't know and it's very hard to kind of put together what 100% happened because again it is the dark ages. One thing that I want to ask is why somebody would make this up as far as their past. So if you're if you're a monk in 9th century England and you're trying to talk about the kings of Wessex, like the kings of Wessex that started with this guy named Certic. Like what's the point of making him descendant of a, a god? What is, what's the point of, like, if you look at the Bible and you are a Christian, what's the point of trying to understand the direct family line from Adam all the way to Jesus? Is it just to give you a better idea of what happens or what you think happened? Or is it is it some effort by humans to kind of make a connection to the past? Like, so, like, if you look at modern day people, they might say, oh, well, Ancestry says that I'm 3% Swedish, so I'm descended from Vikings, which that, that is true for me. I don't I don't claim or like brag about being descendant of vikings. I my family's german. Most of anybody who's of european descent has some relation to a person that probably was a viking at some point. But what's the what's the point of making that connection for somebody that lives and grew up in the United States of America? Like why why does it matter that my my on my mom's side I'm german and british. Why is it matter like on my dad's side I'm primarily eastern european? At what point if we look at somebody like Harold Fairhair whose son, Eric Bloodaxe, we know existed. Eric Bloodaxe also being the king of Norway for a time, but he also, after he got exiled from there, he took over the kingdom of Northumbria in England. So we, we hear about Eric Bloodaxe in many sources. You hear it in uh, the Ying, or, yeah, You hear it from Hems Kringla, which was also written by Snorri Sturluson. He has a huge portion of the book on Harold Fairhair and Eric Bloodaxe, but a lot of it is probably made up because again, it is Snorri Sturluson. Then in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, you actually see Eric Bloodaxe appear as well. And I'm going to re- go ahead and read this. AD 952. This year, the Northumbrians expelled King Anlaf and received Eric, the son of Harold. But then AD 954, so two years later, this year, the Northumbrians expelled Eric and King Ed- Iadrid took the government of the Northumbrians. And King Iadrid was the king of the unified England at that point. You see Eric Bloodaxe. Also appear in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which is actually historical, with some, I guess, myth and like some legendary characters, like for the uh, for like the fourth to sixth centuries. However, with Eric Bloodaxe, this is after they already started recording it. And then there's also a story, a Norse mythology story, called Small, which features the god Odin preparing a banquet for the arrival of Eric Bloodaxe, who died in battle. And what's really funny is that two of the Volsung's are present, uh, Sin Fjoltzli and his father Sigmund, um, who feature in the story for a bit, they're also there. And Odin is preparing this banquet, banquet with um, his poet god, Bragi. So Eric Bloodaxe most certainly existed. Did he Did he take over Northumbria? Yeah. Did he get received by Odin at Valhalla, who thought that his exploits in life were worthiness of being brought to Valhalla? And, but that's all I had. Um, I hope that uh, people found this interesting. I, I could geek out about this forever. And again, I do apologize. This episode was kind of um, started ad hoc. So if I do go on rants, I, I apologize. But if, if you do find this stuff interesting, always feel free to reach out to us on Twitter um, you know, or, or Instagram or something like that. We'd love to hear how the podcast is doing. We'd love to hear like what you would like to hear about. And I, I like to look at this podcast as very therapeutic for me because it's a passion of mine. And because I'm taking this passion and creating this podcast, I'm able to, uh, learn even more about it. And I'm also able to like, see, you know, fans pop up like on Twitter and Instagram and so on. Um, but that's all I had. So thank you so much, everybody. And I promise uh, next Friday or hopefully, um, next Friday, we're going to have our episode on Goodness Small part two. Bye.